here's a proverb, and then we'll get into the message. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Hmm. Okay, so uh, we're starting a new series today. I, I think we love to, when we're with other people, we really, really want to help them with good advice. I mean, we have little nuggets that we'll say to people of sympathy and, and support and advice, and it, it, it's really handy, you know, to, to be able to say something encouraging to people. And, but the question that I want to start with today is, what if the guidance that we're giving, if, even if our heart is right, we, really, we, give, we give some guidance and it actually isn't true. Ooh, what, what, what if we're saying something that we really mean well and um, it's like there are a lot of things that I hear floating through the body of Christ at times, really good sounding things, but they're not quite on bubble, if you will. They're not exactly God's words. And that's what I want to talk to you about for this series. I want to talk to you about the times that we put our words into God's mouth. <laughs> so a series um, of, and I'm going to do, do a couple of messages now, and then I'm going to interrupt the series and come back to it because I want to do Christmas season on Christmas stuff. So um, this, this next week, we're going to talk about um, something that I hear a lot of people say in the body of Christ, and it's, a, it's not actually in the Bible, where people will say, God will never give you more than you can handle. We say that, but that's actually not in the Bible. Um, the, 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 another week, we're going to talk about something. It's a cultural lie, and uh, it's a cultural lie, basically, that says, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. Okay, we'll see what God says about that. Um, another one that we'll say, and this is a, might be the most important one, but it's at the end of the series. Um, it doesn't really matter what you, what you believe as long as you are sincere. Okay, we'll talk about whether, how God feels about that one. Today, now I want to say to you right now, before we get into today's, hold on with me, buckle your seatbelt, and don't start throwing stuff at me, okay? And I know you've never done that yet, but I always have this fear, because there's railroad tracks right there, and I figure the first time I preach something that you really don't want to hear, you're going to take me out back and tie me to those railroad tracks, like Dudley Do-Right, and, you know, okay. So just stick with me. Stick with me just long enough. What about cats? Okay, we're going to talk about cats later. Okay, hold on to the cats. But, um, but, but stick with me because um, we'll, get, we'll get somewhere, but, but the first part of this might be a little bit bumpy for us. I mean, today I want to talk about what might be one of the most popular misbeliefs about God in Western Christianity, Christianity in particular, maybe to the United States, you know, and, and that is this, that God, above all else, God wants you happy. Above all else. Now, I did mention this topic back in the spring, and so um, you might, might hear a couple of examples from that message, but this is, this is a completely different uh, message from, with a lot, of, um, a, a lot of other things that are in this. But I, I, I'd love to be able to tell you with all my heart that above all else, God wants you happy. I would love to be able to tell you that. I can't. I'd, loved, I'd loved, love to be able to tell you that above all else, God wants you to enjoy every part of your life and you know, for good things to always happen and he doesn't ever want anything bad to happen in your life because the, the absolute bottom line to God for you is that you'd be happy. I'd love to be able to tell you that. And in fact, there are scriptures that kind of suggest it. They don't actually say that, but we kind of like take them. And Psalm 97, 12 says this. It says, May all who are godly... Be happy. In fact, that verse just makes me want to feel happy right now. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. 
on. Where's the spirit? Yeah, come on, come on. Oh man. On behalf of my dearly departed father, I apologize because I know you can never unsee those last few moments. Now, last week, I made a comment and, um, about cats, and I'm, my heart is so obviously misunderstood for cats. So as a peace offering, I wanted to offer this happy song to you cat lovers. Lovers like that, don't you? This is your idea of happy music. Okay, so um, I don't know why I do that. I dig these holes and I get into them. Um, but it's one of the big cultural mistakes about what people want to believe about God and that they, they want to believe that above all else, God wants me to be happy. And if you believe that, that philosophy leads you down a road of some other misbeliefs. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about the theology, what I will call the theology of happiness. If you believe that God's supreme goal for you is, is, is happiness, here's what eventually you'll start to do. Um, one, is it whatever you'll start to believe that whatever makes me happy must be right, and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. I mean, even Sheryl Crow made a, sang a really popular song about that. Whatever makes you happy, it can't be all can't be bad if it makes you happy. If we believe that God wants us happy above all else, then whatever makes me happy has to be right, and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. And then the second thing, we start to believe that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconveniences, obstacles can't possibly be God's will for my life. In other words, if things aren't going right, then this must not be God working in my life. And then without knowing it, number three, I begin to worship the false gods of comfort and money and pleasure and things. You know, if, if, if above all else God wants me happy, I, I, without knowing it, I start to worship fa- the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. And that's where the floor starts to drop out for us. Because with, with, when, when happiness theology gets us down that road, we're suddenly forced to believe that God exists to serve us. Now God serves us. And we have to understand this. This is really important for us to catch this. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. And I want to say that again. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. If happiness theology is correct, we reduce God down to some sort of a cosmic Coke machine where, you know, I put my money in, and I push my button, I've done my part, now contractually, God, you've got to give me what I want. And without knowing it, we've reduced God to this formula. You know, God, I said my prayers. I, I've been to church, I, I, I gave some money, I tried to be good, I tried not to do bad things, I helped somebody across the street. God, you've got to, you know, my headaches now need to go away. Girls should be willing to go out with me now. I should get this job I want. I should get the dream house because, God, I've done these things. Don't we have an agreement, a contract? You owe me these things. And here's where this belief turns into really into tragedy, more than a problem. 
an awful lot of people, an awful lot of people walk away from God because of completely wrong beliefs, of completely wrong expectations. You know, they'll say things like, I tried church, and it didn't make me any happier. I, I tried religion, and it didn't work. I tried the God thing. I read the Bible for a while, and, you know, I still have cancer. I, I, I read my Bible, and my kids are still in rebellion. I, my, my finances aren't better than they were. And if you believe happiness theology, that God exists to make you happy, but you're not happy, now you're forced to believe that God has failed you. God's failed you. thing is, God has not failed you. Your theology has failed you. You're, you're, you've started with the wrong presupposition that's led you really now to a very, very dangerous place. And now maybe so far this message has been pretty depressing to you. I don't mean to, to make you... Because you think I'm saying God doesn't like it when you're happy, but that's not what I'm saying here. I do believe that God delights when his kids are happy. I do believe that, that it brings him joy when he sees us with joy and happiness in our life when that happiness comes from having a right heart. And, you know, our hearts can go haywire really, really easy when we're pursuing our happiness. I mean, I'm, I like to watch car racing. And, um, you know, just pretty much just about any kind of car racing. And, and so for those of you that hate car racing, I'm sorry, just bear with me for a minute because I'll get this out of my system. But, like, one of the races, I kind of like to watch the, um, you know, the, the stock car races, the big ones. And um, sometimes I go to the local one. It's kind of fun to watch. But I like to watch the big ones. And, and there's 40-some cars that, you know, if you're watching the Sprint Cup now, it's close to the end of the chase, and you know what I'm talking about. And there's 40 or so cars at every race, and every single driver believes every week they can win. And maybe they can. I don't know. A lot of stuff has to go wrong for some of those people to win. But um, they, 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 they all think they can win, and they pin their happiness to the fact that they're going to win. And they're all hope-filled. The, the, the problem is, if there's 43 of them racing, 42 of them are not going to win. But they will get desperate and do things, pretty crazy things, to, to win. And, and, and if you've been following the series, there was a little mix-up mix up, a few weeks ago between two drivers, a guy named Joey Logano and Matt Kenseth. And... Um, some bump and rubbing and crashing kind of going on. And those things, they don't end at one race. They go to the next race and the next race. <laughs> and so, um, so now Matt Kenseth is pretty upset with guy, this Joey Logano guy, and um, he decided he was going to even the score, and it was going to make him happy. And this is a clip from a couple, a week or so ago. This is what just took place. And clearly the 22 is lapping the 20, and... Tony obviously intentionally wrecked him, and but like what happened the week nice. before was more than two weeks before was more than it should have been, and just flat wrecked him. Just flat wrecked him. Well, let's see it from another angle. Watch the fans enjoy this. Matt Kenseth already not having the day that he wanted. We're to happy. Have. They're crashing. We're happy. Still down there. Still down there. Still down there. Still down there. Oh. 
follow that in the pursuit of happiness. But I don't think either one of those guys is happy at the end of that pursuit. And I think about you know, the, the phrase that, that, that we have these inalien- unalienable rights, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, a phrase that you probably recognize from our Declaration of Independence. Thank you, Thomas Jefferson. And uh, so this, this idea of the pursuit of happiness is drilled into our culture, has been there for hundreds of years, and it's a highly honored American value. And, um, and it's actually a, a, a very venerated human philosophy. Thanks, Thomas Jefferson. I mean, I think, it's all, I think that's all fine. The bottom line, though, for us is that God's blessing for that happiness is completely going to be dependent upon our heart. There was a research, some research done in 2013 by some researchers at UCLA. And their research demonstrated that, catch this, the type of happiness you pursue in life affects your overall well-being. The type of happiness, okay? So here's what they said. Researchers discovered that people who, as a matter of habit, um, chase after hedonic happiness, um, that's pleasure that comes from partying and sex and overeating and drinking. People who pursue that kind of happiness show physical evidence of higher inflammatory response and lower production of antiviral cells and antibodies. Less ability to fight off sickness. People who pursue that kind of happiness... That's the same physiological response, by the way, to people who are depressed and exhausted physically. Lower immunity, okay? And their study, this is from the UCLA, from UCLA. By contrast, people who pursue, as a matter of habit, happiness that comes from pursuing the greater good, they're more altruistic. Um, They show physical evidence of less inflammation, stronger immune response, higher production of antiviral cells and antibodies. In other words, science says your physical health is better if you have a right heart about the pursuit of happiness. Amazing. But when our heart is wrong, suddenly our happiness you know, is not God's highest priority, which makes sense. Yet many of us, you know, our heart or our attitude says, you know, hey, God, God should like me better. He should really want me to be happy no matter what. And the problem with that is then it gives us permission to go ahead and drive people into guardrails and to drive into guardrails ourselves or to drive off the road entirely. And that's why I'm going to argue today with all my heart that God does not want you to pursue happiness. God wants you to pursue him, to pursue him. And we're pursuing him for who he is and just for that alone. And, and God tells us the byproduct of pursuing him. He tells us that in Matthew 6, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Today, I want to dispel one of the biggest, most dangerous cultural myths about God. And I want to show you some circumstances, some reasons when God really isn't all too concerned with you being happy, okay? And me. I don't mean to be snide about it. That sounded really snide, Terry. I didn't mean to be snide. But I mean, these are times when God is not interested in your happiness. Number one, God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. He doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something sinful or stupid or wrong or unwise. And, and, and the thing is that so many... People do something that they believe is going to make them happy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to really like this. It's really going to be good. But it's a wrong thing to do, or it's unwise. And, and um, Proverbs talks about that. It says in Proverbs 14, it says, There's a way that seems right to a man. Right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Because when we believe that, above all else, God wants me happy, we end up doing things that are wrong or unwise as we pursue happiness. 
1 Peter 1.15 says, But just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. Is that what that says? No. It says, But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. God calls us to a pursuit of holiness, which literally means set apart. It's not a pursuit of happiness. But that's really kind of where we kind of default to because we seek after a happiness. And, and a happiness belief system then empowers us to do the wrong things and justify it in our minds. I mean, it, it, it happens really all the time. I mean, I'll give you a couple of crazy made-up examples. One, one is, um, <laughs> I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, and you know, you decide you want to eat cake. I don't mean a piece of cake. You want the cake. And so you sit down and you decide to eat the cake. You know, I like the cake. Um, because it makes me happy to eat the cake, but it's not the wise thing to do. You'll pay for it if you do. Or, you know, I, here's another one that, that I, I bump into this, and it just, you know, you hate your job, you can't stand your job, and you think, you know what, I, I cannot be happy here. And so one day, you go in and you say to your boss, <laughs> you quit your job before you have another place to go. It's really, really unwise. And you're thinking, well, I, it just makes me unhappy. I got to go. And you've got, you know, little bird mouths to feed at home. You've got to take care of your family, but you don't have a plan for that. But you just, I'm leaving this because I'm not happy. It's just so unwise. And the list goes on. I mean, I hear people say, well, my, my, my spouse, you know, isn't meeting my needs. And, and I, I've got needs, so I'm just going to have to look around. I know some people think will think that this is wrong, but I'm just not happy. I mean, I hear that too often. And, and, and it's almost like doing this is going to make me happier, so I justify it in my mind. Or the topic, here's one, um, premarital sex. You know, for you followers of Jesus, I, I, I hope you understand that the gift of lovemaking is meant for the holy covenant of marriage. It's meant to be a blessing there. Yet I think a lot of even Christians think, you know, well, you know, I don't care feels good, I like it, you know, I've got my needs, and we're in love after all, we're married in our hearts anyway, and it makes us happy, it's all, being about, all about being happy, right? So, so we justify the wrong things because it makes me happy, and that just list goes on. I mean, sometimes our entertainment choices, we watch something, and we are watching something that is hilariously funny, completely unrighteous, sinful, but it's really funny, and it entertains us. But the thing is that humor, funny, doesn't make it right. Room's going too quiet on me. <laughs> you know, and if you're not a Christian, and you're hearing me say these things, and you, 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 you can make, go ahead and make fun of me all day long. You really can. It's really fine. I'm not holding any non-Christians to, to this. I mean, because if I wasn't a Christian, and I heard some guy saying this stuff, I'd make fun of me too. So, I mean, I give you permission to do it. But if you're a follower of Christ... You've got to understand that God calls us to a different standard. And, and, and God does not want you happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And the second time that God doesn't want you happy is when it's only based on the things of this world. When it's only based on the things of this world. Now, I, I just found out that if you stay up late enough at night, you can find out what you need to make you happy. Just watch the TV late at night. And I found four things that I think will make me happy. First one is this. I need some bumpets so that my hair <laughs> could be more bouffant. 
So I need to get me some bumpets. Now, if anybody's wearing a bumpet here, forgive me. Let your cat play with it later. It'll be fine. I need a sham wow. I have no idea what that thing does, but I need one. I need dust mop slippers. My wife does agree with this one. <laughs> I love that plaid. I've got to have that plaid. And I need a blankie with holes so I can stick my arms through. Right? Yeah. Especially with the right... <laughs> Look at the way he's looking at her. It's a blanket, buddy. Get over it. Okay, so... <laughs> So here's, <laughs> so here's the formula for happiness that our culture would put upon us. Better possessions, which is newer, shinier, shinier, faster, bigger, whatever, plus peaceful circumstances, which means the absence of all conflict, plus thrilling experiences, you know, the perfect vacation, um, you know, a big thrill, the right relationships. If you're not right, I'll trade you in for someone who is. The perfect appearance, you know, tuck it, lift it, smooth it, shave it, whatever. (laughs) If you have all of these things, it equals happiness. If you have all that list, you will be happy. The problem is that everything on that list, everything on that list is based on happenings. Happenings. Things that happen. That changes. Which is why no one can be happy all of the time in the things of the world. The things of the world just don't last. They're counterfeits. They're just not real. But the, girl, the world will tell you, you know, if, if, if you get this, if you buy this, if you, if you have this, if you do this, if you trade this in, you'll be happy. But you're still not happy. You still find yourself not happy. Because God doesn't want you to be happy when it's only based on things of this world. In fact, God is really pointed and direct about this in 1 John 2. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, I've got to tell you, that scripture kind of reaches up, grabs me by the throat, because sometimes I'm there. And that convicts me. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Wow. Verse 16, For everything in the world... The cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. He says they're gone. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. God doesn't want you, above all else, to be happy when it causes you to do the wrong things or unwise things or when it's based on the things of this world. And God's highest calling for you is not happiness as much as God wants you blessed. Blessed, that's where this message turns. God has something way better for you than happiness. He wants you blessed. The word, the Greek word that shows up in the Beatitudes and just before the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, blessed is this, blessed is is the one who goes, blessed, blessed, blessed. That's uh, makareos, and it means supremely blessed, but what it really means is more than happy. More than happy is the one. More than happy is the one. God wants you more than happy. And the problem is that if you, if you tell God, if, if I tell you that God wants you blessed, um, most or many people will think that means more money, better health, you know, but that's not what a blessed life necessarily is. Uh, 
A blessed life doesn't mean that you won't have a bad day. A blessed life doesn't mean that your kids won't fight. It doesn't mean that your car is not going to break down. Those things happen. There's a bumper stick that told me so. Bumper. <laughs> and and it, it means that you're going you're to experience those things. But while you are experiencing those things, you will also have the goodness of God right in the very middle of the challenges that life brings to you. Happiness and blessings from God are, are not based upon a perfect, pain-free life. He never promises us that. God never promises that. In fact, Jesus said, you know, in this world, you will have trials. But be encouraged. I've overcome the world. Words of Jesus. He says, you're going to face some stuff. It's not going to be perfect and pain-free. But when we don't have that kind of stuff, when we don't have the perfect and pain-free life, we tend to blame God. The reality is that God wants to be active in our life because we live in a sinful and broken world. And God wants to get involved in that. And just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're not going to have trials and sometimes you're not going to feel weak and you're not going to face storms. What he's saying is that in the middle of those storms, you can have blessing. What is blessing? Philippians 4 tells us that. It says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Hmm, all understanding. I mean, it's beyond the human ability to get wrapped around it, to explain it. It, the peace of God, that the peace of God, which is beyond all that understanding, is going to completely guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's blessing. I mean, I'm, I, I think probably right this minute, some of you are in a storm. And you're in a place in a storm right now, and I'm telling you that in just a moment, God can fill your heart with peace that you cannot explain. It won't be arrived at because your circumstances have finally lined up like you think they ought. It'll be a peace that comes in spite of the fact that they haven't lined up yet. And you'll recognize that, you know, I can trust God even though I'm in the middle of this storm. I can get to the other side. And I'd say, you know, you, you might look at your circumstances and say, I would never ever choose this place. I don't want to be here. And you feel like you do not have the strength that you need to keep going. Yet, somehow in the middle of that, in the presence of God, you can have this joy that Scripture calls joy unspeakable. You can't explain it. You feel so much peace and joy in circumstances that everything around you, it's falling apart. And people will look at you and they'll go, hey, what is the deal with you? You're supposed to be upset. You're supposed to be in a puddle on the floor. And you just have no answer except to smile and say, I don't know. I just have the peace of God, and it's real. And people who are mature in their walk with Jesus, you know, will know that you can have this kind of peace and faith in times of, of suffering and trials. And you'll also understand that that's in those times that the Lord is building something in you that does not always get built easily. In fact, it may not be able to be built in any other way. James 1.4 says, Perseverance must finish its work. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, mature Christians that I know who've walked with the Lord for a while and been through trials would say, you know, I, I would never choose to be where I was and where I had to go. But the thing is, I'm totally who I am today because of what the Lord built in me during those times. I mean, that hurt like crazy. 
was terrible. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But I'm changed because of it. The Lord used that and built me into something different that I would never have been able to be shaped into because of those days. And it's a blessing of God. In fact, David talked about that. He said in Psalm 37, he said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word in there, delight yourself, Hebrew word anag, it actually means delight yourself. We, hear, we understand what we think by delight. It, what it means is make yourself soft and pliable. Let's stick that in there in English. Make yourself soft and pliable in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's an action scripture. It's not a beautiful painting of a butterfly in a meadow. It's saying, make your own heart soft and pliable, and then the Lord will do some things in you that you won't believe, and they're good. They're good. And, you know, he, he will. He will give us. The thing is this. When our heart becomes soft and pliable, God plants his desires into our hearts. That's what happens. He sticks his desires in there, which are always good, they're always, you know, the, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 11, the kinds of things about your tomorrows that are wonderful. And he wants to stick those things into your heart about your tomorrows. And I think sometimes the Lord is saying, hey, Terry, I got some really good stuff. I need to plant it in your heart, but it's a little bit rigid. It's a little bit stodgy, Terry. I want to put this in here, but every time I push, it bounces back out. I want your heart to be more like a sponge and a little less like a super ball or a ball bearing or whatever condition my heart is in. I have to say, most of the conversations, many of, some of the, a lot of the, it depends on the time. The conversations that I hear from heaven is the Lord saying, hey, tenderize your heart, Terry. Your heart could be more tender than that, Terry. Did you mean to be that hard-hearted, Terry? Oh, why am I unzipping in front of you? I have no idea. I'm just telling you. The Lord is saying, in, by way of King David, make your heart soft and pliable, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart, and your desires are going to be the same as his. And suddenly now, when that happens, I'm living a very blessed life. You know, Not the perfect, pain-free, problemless life, but, you know... His presence just carries me. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm facing circumstances, but there's a peace that's present that cannot be explained. And it's a completely different deal than slugging it out on your own. It's so different. Um, Max Licato, who is a Christian author, and many of you have probably read, I, I shared this example back in spring when we, when we, in a message where, I love this example. He says, he says would a fish on a beach be happy? Okay, so the picture here is, you know, you know, because here's this fish, you know, he's, he, would he put it on the beach? He wouldn't be happy. You and I already know that. We wouldn't have to do the test because here's this fish and he's doing his little gill thing. How do you do gills? He's doing his thing and although he is completely surrounded in an air, an, uh, an ocean of oxygen, he can't get any. His little gills are flopping and he's just not happy. So, okay, fine. Let's, let's, let's help him out with his happiness. How about if we give him what we think we want? Here is a wheelbarrow full of $100 bills. There, Mr. Fishy, are you happy now? No, he's still not happy. <laughs> However, you know, you know, gas, gas, he's still not happy. Well, what if, we, what if we give you that really cool vacation? You know, go to the beach and you're on the beach. 
You should be happy you're on the beach. I'm not on the beach. It's raining. Have you seen how much rain? Are you happy, Mr. Fish, now? No, he's still not happy. Well, let's put him in a cute little fish chair with a nice fish umbrella, a Corona, and a Playfish magazine. Are you happy now? <laughs> play on words. Another, see, that was another play on words. Okay, so he's not happy. Why is he not happy? Because he wasn't made for the beach. Why is it that we aren't happy in the things that we pursue? The reason is because we were not made for this earth. We were made for heaven. We were made for eternity. This earth, this, this life that we have on this earth, this is a blip in a very long time scale. But it's what we focus on. It's what we know. It's what we're aware of. So we, we focus on this little short time and we pursue it. But, but that, that, this little blip goes and it's gone. Lower your expectations of the earth. You have to lower your expectations of what the earth is going to give to you and be for you. It's not heaven. It wasn't meant to satisfy us. You've got to lower your expectations. There is no new car, no new house, new job, no, no new spouse that's going to satisfy the cravings of your heart. You have a Christ-shaped void that can only be answered by the creator, the loving heart of the, of the God of heaven and earth. Some of you have tried you know, everything you can out there to be happy. You, you've partied, you've consumed, you've rearranged your body, you've you know, traded in a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or you know, if you could just get this job or live in this city or that city, and nothing fulfills. Why? It's because you were not created to be satisfied by this world. It's, it's a temporary place. It's counterfeit. There's something so, so much more and that's a life submitted to God. It makes me wonder, when I, when, I, when I really wrap my heart around that, it makes me want to say, you know what, God, I belong to you. These hands, they're yours, Lord. These eyes, these ears, this mouth, Lord. Help them to see things your way. Help, help, help me to, Lord, my gifts, Lord, are yours. You put them here to begin with. Help me use them, Lord, to make a difference to people. Lord, they're yours. Take them, use them. My passions, Give me, help me have the right words to say to the right person today at the coffee shop. Whatever. And suddenly you're delighting yourself in the Lord. You know, my hands are your hands, Lord. Use them. It doesn't mean it's a perfect, pain-free life, but it's a life blessed in the presence of the King. At the very beginning of this message, I, I read a verse and I purposefully did not finish the verse. Um, and I want to feed, read it this time all the way through the end. Psalm 97 says, May all who are godly be happy. That's the part we read earlier. But then it says, be happy how? It says, May all who are godly be happy in the Lord and praise his holy name. Happiness is only found, it can only really be found in, in, in Jesus Christ. And it's deeper and happiness. It's, it's his blessings. It's joy unspeakable. It's his peace. It's his power. It's his presence. It's, and it's an eternal calling. We have to lower our expectations of the earth and because we weren't created for the earth, we were created for heaven. And then above all else, understand that God has something better than happiness for you and that's his blessings. I think when we tap into his blessings and his goodness, no matter what, we understand then that's when we will understand that God is working together 
for the good of those who love him under all circumstances. He's working those things together for your good and mine. Let's pray.